Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. We got a very busy Counterpoint, so let's get to it. We got John Dwyer, director over at Arius Technologies Incorporated. Hello there. Hola. And we got Stephen LeDrew, Toronto based lawyer, broadcaster, and bread maker. Hello. Homemaker, absolutely. How are you? <laughs> Good, thanks. Hola, so fancy. Wow. Yeah. Uh, new languages, you know, yeah. giving it a whirl. Uh, China blasting Canada for, quote, irresponsible remarks uh, after the prime minister accused the country of arbitrarily sentencing a Canadian to death for drug smuggling. So this has aggravated already icy relations. And um, the Trudeau liberals have issued a warning for Canadians traveling, living or doing business in China. But China swinging back saying, yeah, you want to play that game? Don't go to Canada. And I I get that there's going to be a diplomatic dance on this thing. But I'll, I'll start with you on this, John. Is the Trudeau government making this up as they go along? Do you get the sense that they have control of this? And, and would you go to China trusting your government would be able to get you out of trouble? Well, the first question is, do I have a sense that they have control of it? The answer is no. I agree with with what Aaron O'Toole said earlier. I think he's a pretty bright guy on multiple fronts, not the least of which is on foreign affairs. And look, this is, this is a, a transition on a global scale when it comes to how we understand diplomacy and relationships between countries. The past 25 to 30 years was arguably characterized by like diminishing borders, right? You know, I uh, see... You know, obviously the EU, you see ASEAN countries in South, Southeastern Asia, all kind of working together in this pursuit of globalization. And I think that, especially around liberalism in Canada, was kind of confused with the idea that um, any business is good business and China is good because it provides so many opportunities to Canada. But throughout that process of China was becoming more and more powerful, etc., I always thought the conservatives had a really good idea and, and uh, about how to handle China, and that was with power. You have to tell them exactly how you feel, and it may be unpopular sometimes. And I think Justin Trudeau, if you see all the pageantry that he's done over the past two or three years, it's never really been about an, uh, um, trying to establish with China that we are somebody that stands up for things, that we are, we're a country uh, that has a moral compass that may uh, uh, go well beyond, you know, may, may negate business opportunities. And so... The precedent has made Trudeau weak, and now we're at this really dangerous, you know, a time where we've got to stand up to China. And as Aaron O'Toole said, we should have done it way earlier. It should have been, it should have been happening in December, but you know, Here this is are. what happens. Ledrew, Mr. Ledrew, would you go to China right now? Oh, absolutely not. I don't think any Canadian should go to China. And uh, it was referred to as a diplomatic dance. This is not a diplomatic dance. This is a diplomatic shootout. <laughs> and you know, when we're talking about globalization and. and it was all this sort of la di da stuff in the turn of the century and Clintons and, and you know, and Trudeau and stuff. I mean, it's, it's all really, everybody wants to trade. But to make this one big happy planet where everybody's going to hold hands and sing kumbaya is, is a fantasy. And now Canadians are starting to realize that was a fantasy. It's absolute total hogwash. China is a very oppressive uh, country run by the Communist Party. Uh, it is not a nice place. The government, I mean, the Chinese people are terrific people, but the government they have is like the evil war <laughs> power. It's, it's, um, it's terrible. So, um, you know, I feel badly for uh, Canadians there. If I was living there, I'd get the heck out of town as fast as possible. We should do trade with them. Uh, Huawei should not be allowed uh, to infiltrate our government. The United States has made that decision. 
France has made that decision. Germany's looking at it. Uh, they want to come in and run the computers in the government and in businesses and high tech. Yeah, so they know everything that's going on. I mean, it's absolutely what they lie through their teeth. Mm. Huawei executives, Scott Bradley, uh, resigned this past weekend. I don't know why, (laughs) but uh, anybody who knows him wondered how he could put up with that baloney for so long. Well, hey, when it pays well, a lot of people will will put up with the baloney. But, you know, look. John and I are on your show tonight because it pays so well. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still looking for that check. This is just the start. (laughs) Keep looking. This is the start of something big. Yeah. It's not going to be pretty. I don't know how it's going to go, but the first rule is we do not let ourselves be run over by the Chinese government. We do not. And I think one of the messages, and I'm not one to tell a company not to take money, but, you know, Huawei just happens to be a major sponsor of our Canadian national sport on Rogers. Should Rogers be looking at that sponsorship? I know it might be a lot of money, but, John, it doesn't look great when when this this is a core part of why we are in this position that we're in. Yeah, I I think as this continues to intensify, one of your callers earlier, see, I listen to your show every night. So I know all the, I got all the deets. Um, one of your one of the callers earlier said, "Look, if you look at this last week, there was protests in British Columbia around you know free the CFO and so so on and so forth. And now there's a there's this ever growing cry of we should ban you know Huawei and 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 essentially not use the product. I don't know. I I, I there's something about me that always feels like that is a very populist approach to it certainly sounds like something that sounds good to me sounds, sounds like good. something that if that i think Trump someone's spying and, on me i'm not bringing that technology into my house right yeah, my country. All, all i'm saying is let's just be careful when we talk about people spying on us because every you know google has way more information than huawei ever could imagine to so we we, it, we it, have given up all that sovereignty well before this conversation so let's just not kid ourselves well, yeah but let's just not continue to give it up to a country that is so antagonistic as the chinese government the other thing is mm-hmm. if they want to sponsor sports teams and stuff like that. Well, God bless them. I think that's great. Uh, we'll take their money. We just don't want to take their products. Yeah. Let me move on to the next subject, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put off the um, Danforth uh, issue till the next segment, but we will pick up Saudi Arabia because a Saudi Arabian lobby group uh, in the U.S. is warning Canada that its relations with, um, with Muslim countries could suffer in the wake of the federal government's decision to grant asylum to this 18-year-old Saudi woman that uh, was kind of, uh, you know, paraded around by Christia Freeland over the weekend. But she's here in Toronto. Do we care, Stephen LeDrew, that we've pissed off the kingdom? Uh, no. And more importantly, should we care that we pissed off an American lottie, lottie group? Right. Absolutely not. I mean, that's just an, that's insane. We are a sovereign country. I think that um, when we tweeted, when Christian Friedland tweeted uh, a year ago, I think that was just unnecessary, and I think it was very damaging. But on this one, I think this woman had a heck of a case to be um, brought into Canada. I think it's, uh, it's good for Canada. And I think um, if there's, it's an oppressive regime. You know, if people in Canada know what young ladies go through over there, they say, bring them all over. Yeah, Gillette would do a campaign. Uh, uh, Gillette uh, would do a, a toxic masculinity. Could, no, they wouldn't. Sorry, John. <laughs> could, could you find, could, could, could they have found like a more obscure source for this, like an American lobby group? Like but the Saudi I, government, the kingdom has been been readily pissed off with our government yeah. for some time, and they're no happier. And, and look, I'd say I don't care what Saudi Arabia thinks, but I also wouldn't go out of my way to stick an, uh, 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 stick in their eye by marching around and, and with that, this young woman. And, and that's where like diplomacy in and of itself has to have so many different layers to it. How we, our relationship and how it's characterized with 
with China has to be dramatically different than what it you know than it is with Saudi Arabia or any country in that region because look, historically um, we have needed each other on a lot of trade fronts and the trade relationship we have in Asia is very well, different. We than also that need region. a key ally in 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 the Middle East. I, you know, I, and, there's and, there's stuff like that that we. But, you know. but there, we there, need a key ally in the middle. Well, you gotta have. You, put, you know, you put your finger on something though, is that that tweet last year in favor of somebody who was in Saudi Arabia by our foreign minister was provocative. I thought it was very very bad and it was certainly undiplomatic. Mm-hmm. And I think that you put your finger on when you said she was paraded around here by that same minister. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we should have brought her in. But we don't have to be so no. so blatant about it. It would have been probably better if we just said brought her in quietly and let her lead her life and wow. not have a parade in front of all the cameras. I agree. It made my skin crawl to watch that. And look, there, there was a lot of back and forth on Twitter. Obviously, Parliament's not sitting. Uh, Christy Freeland's riding is in downtown Toronto. I believe she has her home here, which would make sense. So, like, you know, it was a, what, a, a quick jaunt on the Up Express to get out there. Uh, <laughs> that, that, to me, is just... It was, cra- it was, yeah. it was inappropriate. It's, yeah, and, 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 but to wrap her arm around her like that and kind of walk six steps out and be like, no pictures, please, no pictures, please. Like, it was schmarmy. And the poor woman, this is a hugest transition in her life ever. She's got about 30 ever. fatwas on her head, probably, and, and here she is being paraded out by the Foreign Affairs Minister. I thought it was very irresponsible, too. Hey, no name-calling here. Just differing opinions going head-to-head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. We are into our second round of Counterpoint, so let's get back to it. We've got John Dwyer as well as Stephen LeDrew weighing into these topics. And six months... After the fact, uh, we are learning, thanks to Global News, that the shooter on the Danforth had a massive cache of ammo for all sorts of automatic weapons, including, yes, the AK-47, shotgun ammo, handgun ammo. There was literature and videos stashed away in his bedroom showing conspiracy theories on things like 9-11 and other terror events uh, surrounding Al-Qaeda. Um Bottom line, they were sending money back to Pakistan. Um, I think what this tells us, Stephen, and I'll, I'll start with you on this, is that, look, there was no question, I think, to anybody that this was a terror attack, but that we've had to wait so long to find the basics. And we're only getting these basics because Global went to court and got the unsealed police warrant. So it's not even like anyone's updating us. We're just finding this up now. Is this a cover up to you? Uh, no, and I, I would like the police to explain that, though. I think that should be put to them, because there could very well have been an operational reason why they could not reveal that. They may have been you know, tracking his contacts back. They could have been looking for the owners of those weapons if they were, in fact, stolen, or, or, and they could have been looking at other communications. And that takes some time. So why not just tell people? Why not say, look, well, this is a national security we were told that We were told it was not a national security risk. Well, you don't tell somebody that, uh, who has a contact with the deceased, with the shooter, that you're looking for them. No, you don't, don't but I've covered, but I will, I will take issue because I've covered crime for an awful long time that when you have a, a big, there's no question that the police will say, look, there's a security issue here. We cannot disclose that. But they didn't even say that because they denied there was any security risk. Well, that's the problem. But as far as just learning that information now, I think that we should go to the cops and say, okay, What's going on with this case? They because it is odd. Yeah. Well, if they won't tell you, then that is a problem. But if they said, look, there are still ongoing leads here. We are still investigating. It could be a big conspiracy. It could be a big network. And we think that more of it is in Toronto. If they said that, then we'd say, oh, well, listen, well, okay. You know, you have to do your cop work because we don't want... 
to be as reporters, as journalists, as big mouths on radio. We don't want to be responsible for another shootout mm-hmm. until you guys get all this guy. Well, I, and I agree with that. But, but John, the, I mean, the investigation hasn't really been even uh, handled because the SIU wrapped this thing up. I mean, we have been shrouded in a, in a secret cone of silence leading to a lot of speculation. And Stephen's right. It could very well be a security issue that they're trying to kind of break down. But they've not. the fact that we have not had any information at all has led to this vacuum being filled up with innuendo. Yeah, it, it was a, as everybody can appreciate, an incredibly traumatic experience sure. for the city, for the country, but but more specifically for that neighborhood and, and obviously the families and the people that were affected. It, my, my parents actually live at Logan and Danforth, and my brother and my mom went out. And my brother performed CPR on Weesh. the teenage girl who, who, who passed away. Um, you know, I think... And, and again, I, I don't suggest to know police protocol or how all this unfolds or what the what what the proper procedure is, but this is this really is unprecedented, and and I, I am very sympathetic to how the police handle it, how they disseminate information, and you know I'm a big fan of of, of all things police, but but I think the Toronto Police Forces uh, does a terrific job on this front. As best as any police force could do. We would have known in five minutes if we were in the United States. It, that's just what I have seen over the last couple of years is this uh, cloaking down of the shield of blue on information that we would have normally gotten um, much, much earlier. Because in the United States, they come out and have a press conference within an hour. The answer is, Alex, yeah. we should hold them to account now. I mean, the well, police chief should be asked tomorrow. What went on to this? And we want the answers, and we have a right to the answers. Okay, you know what the answer will be? I, I'll put money on this. I'll give you a okay. dollar if you're right. The answer will be, well, this is still under investigation. We cannot talk about it at this point, but we will win the... That's what he's going to say. They're going to well, hide behind this. Them every week, and then after another month or two, come on. Yeah. Level uh, with us. i got to dig into this one, because this, this, <laughs> this drives me crazy. David Livingston. The former Liberal Premier's Chief of Staff, who was sentenced to four months in jail for his role of wiping government hard drives, uh, a decision that ultimately cost Ontarians billions. Um, The judge, because I covered this trial, the judge said his conduct was, quote, an affront to and an attack upon democratic institutions and values. Now we learn, and not because anyone told anybody, but now we learn that way back in September when people were trying to check around about his appeal, that not only did he for, you know, drop the appeal process, but that four-month sentence was reduced to about a month and a half, which he served before Christmas, and now he's out. John, how the hell did he get a reduced sentence? <laughs> Almost said a bad nice word. pause there. I, well, I had to stop myself from saying a, a naughty word. But is anyone ever held to account in this country anymore? No. You, you, <laughs> and by the way, why are we mad at David Livingston? Let's be mad at Dalton McGinty. Well, Dal- Dal- no, 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 no. I did no. this trial because if you heard what Mr. Livingston did... He was sneaky. He lied, and he tried to cover this up. Don't, don't, oh, you won't get an argument from me. Dalton McGinty should have been like right beside him, but Mr. Livingston, all on his own, yeah. broke the law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the movie House, the show House of Cards, when it relates to what staffers do, is not built on fiction. It's built on the realities of it. This happens quite frequently. Sure. The scrubbing well, of information yeah. also does happen mm-hmm. on these computers when you transition from mm-hmm. governments, even if it's intergovernmental. So, right. In, so give the guy a reduced sentence. Set yeah. a precedent. Well, well, hold on. Dalton McGinty went. Dalton McGinty went. To Boston to go work for for for, for Harvard and and like lived in I don't know what he did he was he was out of the spot like forever we should be upset with him oh, here but how was this back to the point yeah. how was it reduced from four months to one month because Good that question. had to be done by a judge mm-hmm. and you, we do not have a star chamber so often now judges are saying well we're sealing this uh, to the public I disagree with that and that is a bad trend because the only justice 
that's done is, is seen. seen to be done, and you've got to, there have to be answers, and the judge or the Crown or the defense, whoever worked this one out, have to come forward and say, this is why. Okay, because I... I, I it's nefarious. No, it is, because I contacted the Premier's office tonight because I was like, how the hell did no one know about this? They had no clue, which means this was done very, very quietly because you can bet that Mr. Ford would have said, hold on a second. Not a chance that this is going to happen. But again, this well, thing was shrouded in secrecy. Power, that's the power of radio and people investigating Alex. And the fact that you contacted the, fe- the Fever's office tonight, they should be onto it. And over the next few days, the public in Ontario should know the whole story of how a guy who's sentenced to four months goes down to one month. And, you know, where was that court case? Where was that hearing? And what were the reasons why? Who gave the decision? Welcome to white-collar crime. Yeah, it would, it would also be interesting to, to, to delve into the precedent of how often this does happen in, in, in other cases, not, not the least of which are ones that are white-collar crime. It's a four-month sentence. What in God's name are you getting a reduction? It's like half <laughs> I mean, the hockey season. You could get out by the All-Star break. It's four months. It's nothing. It's a ratings period. All right. I don't have a lot of time to talk about that, but I do want to talk about this because it is a big issue, but the Ontario people have announced a plan to review the province's regional governments. And this is a review of all eight regional municipalities. And what they're looking at is Halton, York, Durham, Waterloo, Niagara, Peel, Muskoka. But why? Well, they want to see if, in fact, the province should amalgamate uh, any of these in the future. Uh, Stephen, <laughs> other than the fact that it would really, really anger Patrick Brown, uh, w- would this be a good idea? The motive behind it? I don't know. I don't, uh, I'd I, like to know who's doing the review. What are they reviewing? Looking at the tax base? You know what? If they really wanted to get at duplication, get rid of them all. Mm. They'll all be run by the province. Yeah, well, well that's fine. Uh, looking at it. Talking about precedent, though, I mean, look, in our three, you know, layers of government being federal to provincial, and Stephen, I, I don't have to tell you about this, but, you know, the, the province goes to the federal government oftentimes hat in hand, gets mad about transfer payments and all the rest of it. And similarly, the, the, the municipalities go to the province, then the federal government very much hat in hand. Certainly the city of Toronto has over the past 20 years. But I think, I think... There could be some conspiracy theory here. The follow-on about this could very well be just kind of the tail end of, well, we had to reduce the city of Toronto down to 25 individual seats. And to make it all look kosher, let's just have a, a very circumspect look at the rest of these mm, little municipalities. No, I, I, don't, I don't get the sense of that. But I do get the sense that, look, if there's efficiencies found, Stephen, I don't have a problem with that. And, and look, I know there were problems with amalgamation under Mike Harris. Part of that has to be blamed on Mr. Martin because they downloaded a whole bunch of stuff onto the province. But there were big problems with it. Well, there are big problems, and there's going to be duplication. There's no question about that. On the other hand, to have responsive government, you have to have... Mm maybe not local, but certainly regional government. Sure. And we are over-governed in Ontario. There's no question about that either. But I just don't think that, well, it'll be interesting to see the study, if it doesn't go on for ages and ages, if they come up and say, well, you know, here's what savings is going to be, and here's how we can make sure that we don't have humongous government that ignores people. Yeah. That's what we're getting over and over again in Ontario because we have too many damn bureaucrats making more room for more damn bureaucrats. Yeah, in downtown Toronto, and then the rest feel like they are alienated. Well, that's why I think it's good to cut the councillors. And maybe if they went into a lot of these regional governments and said, okay, you have 50 councillors now or whatever, you have 20, you have 30, let's just see what you can do with 10. Oof, ah, music bonus. to my ears. All right, guys, I got to... What's that? There would be a bonus. Oh, it would be. Yeah. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.